I invite you to open them to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We'll consider verses 5 through 25 this morning. Fairly long reading. Let's consider God's word together. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blameless in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many, to the, many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah. And they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus, says, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come now to, to this portion of your holy word, Lord, we, we need to hear from you. We live in a time among a people who need to hear from you just as much as these people in Zechariah and Elizabeth's time needed to hear from you. And so we pray today that you might speak to our hearts uh, that you might reveal to us our, our worries, our fears, that you might show us our sins, also that you might show us our Savior, that we might bow before Jesus today and worship him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Father, we ask these things in his name. Amen. Well, if you were with us last week, then you know that, that we have uh, set the, the daunting task of beginning a study here in the Gospel of Luke, and as we considered uh, his introduction then, we found that in writing to Theophilus, 
Luke is concerned to give a historic, orderly, and accurate account of the events surrounding the life of Jesus of Nazareth. He says that he has followed all of these events closely. He has been in the presence of the ministries of the apostles. And so seeing these things, knowing these things, he believes that Jesus is the Messiah. He believes that he is indeed God in the flesh. And so he understands how important it is that Theophilus knows the exact truth about this man. And we said that 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 need to know the facts about Jesus is no less urgent for us today. It's no less urgent for people in our time to know the exact truth of what Jesus has done. Now, if we are going to have lasting forgiveness, if we're going to be able to face the, the chaotic world that we live in, if we want hope beyond just the here and now, then the only chance that we have of, of finding any of those things is to consider what this Bible says about our Redeemer, about the one who has come to take away the sins of the world. And so Luke, he sets out to, to give us that here. Uh, and today he begins his account with this announcement of the birth of John the Baptist. Now, if you have had a child in the last few years, or maybe you had a grandchild, or maybe you just had a relative or a friend that had a child, you know how important it is to announce these things, right? If you have social media, you know this. The, the announcement of the birth, especially the gender reveal, it's an amazing thing. That's a, that's a big deal, right? You've got to have the cake. You've got to have the whole thing. And my favorite one, of course, is the, the baseball gender reveal, right? You know, where the, the dad gets his bat from high school and the mom has the, the balloon or whatever it is with the color inside and she rears back and she chunks it. You want to talk about pressure. You know, World Series is one thing, but you got one shot. And you probably had swung a bat in about 20 years, right? You got one shot. Your, your eyes better be on the ball. You better make contact because if that thing explodes behind you, then you've ruined it all. And it's going on social media, right? That's pressure. But we know, we know it's, it's, it's fun. It's exciting to, to know that, that a birth is coming. Over the next few weeks, we're going to see the two biggest birth announcements that have ever been, right? Jesus, John the Baptist today. And there's no cake, uh, there's, there's no bats, there's no cute decorations, but there's angels. Angels come and they reveal these truths to, to an elderly couple, to, to a young girl. God's plan, he, he stoops down to reveal what he is going to do. He stoops down and he speaks to, to these people who seem like they would be the last ones in the world that God would want to speak to. And he reveals his plans of redemption. His plans of redemption to redeem a people for himself. Now with that in mind, as we approach our story today, it's important that we understand what's going on in the lives of God's people here in the first century. And Luke, being a good historian, he helps us to see that. Look at verse 5. He says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea. Now this Herod is the one that is referred to as Herod the Great. Uh, he reigned from about 37 B.C. to about 4 A.D. And if you know your history, then there was very little to mark Herod as great. Outside of some worldly accomplishments, 
he was not a great man. In fact, he had his wives put to death. He had his family put to death. He had so many of his sons killed that, that the, the saying was, it was better to be a pig in Herod's house than a son. We know later on in the gospel account, this is the man who orders the killing of all the male babies in order to try to get to Jesus, in order to try to eradicate this king of the Jews. This is a tyrant. Uh, this is not a, a good man, not a good ruler. And this was certainly a time of oppression for all people, but especially for God's people. Now look, that, that would have been plenty enough, right? That would have been enough to, to make things bad. But, but when you approach this text, you realize that it has been 400 years since these people have heard from God, at least in their own minds, right? If you depend on how you date Ezra and Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the temple, all of those things, they have not heard from a prophet. God has not acted visibly for them in 400 years. And so it seems, for all intensive purposes, that God is silent. They struggle, they suffer. And yet God doesn't seem to, to see. He doesn't seem to care. He says nothing in the midst of all of that. And so this is a difficult situation for God's people. And it brings up a lot of difficult questions. And what we see is this condition that is corporate is really embodied well in the lives of, the, of this couple in our story today, of Elizabeth and Zechariah. We read again in verse 5 that, that Zechariah is a priest of the division of Abijah, that Elizabeth is a descendant of the priests of Aaron, and then we also read there that, that they were righteous before God, that they walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. This is a faithful couple. This is, this is a first century power couple, right? This is the Beyonce and Jay-Z or Joe DiMaggio and Marilyn Monroe for you older folks. They have, they have nothing on this, right? They have the pedigree. They're descended from the right folks, from the priestly lines. They also have the character to back it up. Now, they're not sinless, but they have for many years faithfully served and walked with the Lord. And so it's almost shocking to us, or it should be. Luke is intending it for it to be shocking to us when he says there, but, in verse 7, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, obviously, I, I want to be delicate here, but, but any woman that, that has experienced this, you can relate to, to what Elizabeth must have been feeling to some degree or another, right? The, the, the longing for a child, the, the heartache she must have experienced year after year when that child didn't come as her friends and her relatives, as they had children, and the hard questions that that had to have brought for her, for Zechariah, the hard conversations that they must have had with each other, it's a difficult situation. But we also have to keep in mind the, the social setting that these people lived in because it wasn't just a private struggle that they were dealing with. No, this was a very public matter. 
Because they lived in a time where, where having children was the most important thing you could do because if you were going to pass on a name, if you were going to pass on an inheritance, it was through your children. That was the way you did it. And so not only was this a, a, a public problem, but it was also a religious problem because the assumption would have been that, that God was cursing them, that, that they had done something in their lives to deserve this from God, that Elizabeth had somehow sinned, that Zechariah had somehow sinned to cause God to do this to them. It's almost like Job, right? You think of Job and his friends, and Job is righteous before the Lord, and his friends come and say, you need to repent. And Job says, I can't, I've been righteous. And you remember how frustrated he is by the end of that book. Like he's, he is really, really upset by the end of that book. And so you can imagine how frustrated Elizabeth must have been, how frustrated Zechariah must have been. Imagine the tears that they had shed in the night. Imagine the, the shadow that must have rested on almost every activity of their daily lives. Because now, now after all the prayers, after all the tears, after all the times that they have cried out to God, it seems that the time has passed them by. It seems that, that they will not have a child. God has been silent. He has not responded to the things that, that they have prayed for. Now friends, I imagine, I know, that to some degree or another, all of us can, can relate to these things. You know, trials come, hardships come in our lives, and we pray to God, we cry out for mercy. We cry out in faith, knowing that he very well can do those things. And yet, what do we find? Oftentimes, he is silent, and we're left to wonder like the psalmist, how long, O oh Lord? We're left to say, will you spurn forever? Will your steadfast love cease? Have you forgotten to be gracious? Those aren't my words. Those are the words of the psalmist. Have you forgotten us, Lord, in our suffering? Why don't you act? Friends, these are hard questions. And I'll be honest with you, I hesitate to leave them. Because I know somebody here today is asking these questions. Somebody is wondering these things. And friends, if you are that person, you need to know that you're not alone. You're not alone in asking those questions. It is by God's wonderful and merciful grace that he has given us the Psalms, that he has given us Job, that he has given us these accounts in his scripture over and over again where men doubt, where women worry, where they ask hard questions. Friends, the fact is, is he is God. And those questions don't scare him. And so we can bring them to his throne. That's what he wants us to do. Ask the hard questions to him. And what he gives us in those moments, as we wrestle, as he walks with us, as we search his scripture, what he gives us is hope. Because though God may be silent in our lives, he is not inactive. He may be silent, but he is always at work on behalf of his people. And we see that so clearly in our story today. If you look at verses 8 through 10, 
You see there that, that Zacharias, he serves as his normal duty as a priest would. He is drawn by light to go into the most holy place. Now, it's hard for us, not the most holy place, but the holy place, right? That's a distinction, right? There's the holy of holies, and then there's the holy place. So he goes into the holy place. And it's hard for us, again, to, to grasp the weight of this. This was to be like the, the apex of his career. This is like the Super Bowl. This is, this is the, the moment for a priest. Because you only got to do it one time. Once you were drawn by light, you were kicked out, that was it. And so he got to do it once. And so you can almost imagine his anticipation as he puts on the priestly robes. You can almost imagine his joy as this godly man stoops to, to light the incense there in the holy place. You, you can almost just see the, the fervency with which he prays as he bows there in the holy place before his God. This is a big deal. This is a big moment for him. And then it gets better. It gets scarier, but it gets better. Because an angel appears. An angel. And it's not just any angel, right? It's Gabriel stands in the very presence of God. And so it's no wonder that, that he is afraid when Gabriel appears to him. But then, then the angel speaks. And friends, things just get even more remarkable than they were before. He says, Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. Your prayers have been heard. Now, it's hard for us to know for sure what prayers he's referring to and what specifically Zechariah was praying for in that moment. Certainly, his job was to go in and pray for the deliverance of God's people. And that's what he was doing. We can be confident in that, and we're going to come back to that. But friends, I am convinced that when this angel says, your prayers have been heard, that he doesn't just have the immediate prayers in mind. He has all of those prayers that Zechariah and Elizabeth have, have said to God in the middle of the night at 1 o'clock in the morning when their tears were flowing, when life was overshadowing, and when things were so hard, he's got those prayers in mind. God had heard every single one of them. Though they had gone unanswered up until this point, God had heard. Silence is broken. The silence is broken. Look at verse 13. He says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. Can you imagine what that moment must have been like? Can you imagine what, what, what it must have been like for, for Zechariah, who had walked around with this shadow, to now know that he is going to experience joy, that he's going to experience gladness, that, that his God had heard and his God has now acted on his behalf. It's what a joy it is to know that our God acts. He acts for you and he acts for me, but not only that, you notice here that this is a plan, not just for individuals, but this is a plan for all of God's people. It is a corporate plan. That prayer, God deliver us. The Lord is doing that. Look at verses 15 through 19. 15 through 17, I'm sorry. First he says, this son, John, is going to be great before the Lord. Verse 16, he takes that Nazarite vow. He should not drink strong drink. He's not going to cut his hair. You remember how he looks by the time he comes in and he's doing his ministry. 
but he's going to be filled with the Spirit. And then he gets down to, to, to verses uh, 16 and 17. And, and Zechariah was a priest, so he would have known these words. When, when he heard this, it would have been shocking to him. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the father to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. These are the words of Malachi, right? These are the words of the prophet who said, I will send my messenger before me. I will prepare, he will prepare the way of the Lord. And then if you turn to, to Malachi chapter 4, and in verses 5 and 6, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the father to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Here is God's plan. Here God is revealing himself. His plan of redemption has not stopped. He's blessing not just a couple, but he's blessing a people. For 400 years, God had been silent. Now, the silence is broken. God speaks. He speaks through, through the ordinary circumstances of the lives of his people. An elderly couple. He speaks to them. And he is silent no more. And friends, today, if you are resting in Jesus, then I can assure you, he is working. He is working for you today. He is working for his people today. Though things may be dark, though your pain may seem like more than you can bear, Though this election may not have turned out the way that we want it to. God reigns. And he is at work. And though he may be silent in the midst of it all, he's doing great things. He hears our prayers. He sees our tears. And he in Christ has promised to set all things right. He's not ignoring all of these things. He's not overlooking them. He knows it and he sees it. I left that verse on top of your page from Lamentations. It's actually from a few weeks back, but it fits so well. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's not just true when things are good, friends. That's true all the time. His faithfulness does not End. And so we can trust him. We can trust him to work things out for our good and for his glory. And so the Lord comes, the angel comes, and he speaks. He declares, he breaks the silence. But then there's one last scene here in this story, and it should make us all stop. It should make us stop and ask some hard questions. You know, all of these things that I've said today, they sound great, and they're true. The question for you and the question for me today, and what's the question is going to be for the next months and years of our lives, is do we believe that these things are true? I can tell you until I'm blue in the face, but do we believe that God is good? Do we believe that he is faithful? Do we believe that Jesus reigns? 
Because as you look at this story this morning, Gabriel delivers this news, and look how Zechariah responds. How shall I know these things? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Now, at first we're tempted to say, Zechariah, what are you doing? Now, how, how could you not believe? After all, you're in the holy place. You have prayed these prayers. Gabriel is standing before you. The Lord is making his announcement, and you don't believe what, what is happening right now. How can you doubt? But you know, if we're honest, if I'm honest with myself, don't we see ourselves here? How many of us truly pray with confidence? How many of us truly pray expecting God to act? How many of us, and look, this has settled heavy on me this week, because I realize in all of my conversations about the events of the world, I was saying, God is in control, but... I was saying God is in control, and then I was using words like but and if and all of these things. And at some point, I stopped in the middle of the week, and I said, there is no but. There is no if. God is in control. End of story. That's it. There is no other thing. If we add anything to the end of that, then we don't truly believe that God is in control. How often are we surprised when he acts on our behalf? The truth is, is when we read Gabriel's response, verse 19, your mouth is going to be shut. We realize, that should be me. That should be us. Our mouths should be shut over and over and over again. Because how often are we faithless just like Zechariah? God can act even in the miraculous, even the impossible. He can do. Now look, I I have for weeks tried not to say anything about the election and all of this, and I I really hesitate to do it today, but I, I just can't. Friends, if we have confidence in God, if we have confidence that he is in control, then what happened may not be what we want, We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to worry. We don't have to sweat this thing. Because if we're putting our confidence in men, no matter who they are, the best of them, David was a a king after God's own heart, and he failed. Solomon was the wisest man who has ever lived. And if you read the end of his reign, it was in shambles. If we're putting our confidence in presidents, in congresses, in men, then they are going to fail us. That's the facts. But we have one who will not fail us. We can put our hope, we can put our confidence in the Lord. Because he will not fail to act and he will not fail to do what's right. It may not be in our time. It may not be how we want it to be. But he will not fail us. It may be in glory. And look, things may get hard. Even if they do, he is the king. He reigns. And so we can have confidence. He's working out his purposes. Even now, 
He's working them out for his glory and for our good. And so we have hope. We pray expectantly, Lord, have mercy. Lord, help our nation. Help us as your people. Well, Zechariah, he leaves the temple here, and it's almost a comical scene. You know, he's just heard the greatest news that any man has ever heard, both personally and corporately, and he can't tell anybody, right? He comes out, and these people have been waiting forever. They've been praying. They're like, what is he doing in there? And he comes out, and he can't talk to them. He can't tell them this great news. God has now spoken, but Zechariah is silent, He can't tell the things he needs to tell. He goes home to his wife, Elizabeth. He can't tell her the greatest news that they could ever have received. The Prince of Peace, he's coming. The King, he's he's coming. But notice there how it ends. It says, after these days, his wife, Elizabeth, she conceived, and for five months, she kept herself hidden saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. This lady who had dealt with with so many hardships, so many trials, so, so many things in her life, God has smiled upon her. And friends, the reality is, is we're going to see next week that God has smiled on his people throughout history, throughout the world. A Savior is coming. Jesus is coming, and that's true for us. It's true for us today. He died on a cross 2,000 years ago to save your soul, to forgive your sins. Are you resting in that today? And the truth is, is if you are, he's coming back. He's coming back, and he will reign forevermore. Let's pray together. Lord, we bow before you today, and we thank you for the truths of what we've heard. Lord, our lives are chaotic. And we don't know what's going to happen from one day to the next. And it brings up a lot of hard questions. Why do you do these things? Why does the world fall apart around us? Why don't you, why don't you act? Yet, Lord, the reality is, is that you are a God who is in control of all things. You have given us Jesus. And if you have given us Jesus, how will you not freely give us all things? So, Lord, I pray that you would give us confidence today. Help us, uh, help us to go out into the world and live with a hope that, that defies what we see. Help us to live with an assurance that, that defies the reality of the world. Because the, the truth is, is the reality we know is more true than, than anything in this world. Christ will return and he will reign forevermore and we will reign with him. We look forward to that day. We thank you for that hope. We thank you that, that in your word... You've given us examples of your people struggling so that we might not feel alone, that we might not feel like we're the only ones that that have felt these things. But Lord, you you know our doubts. You know our worries, and you invite us in anyway. You say, bring it all to me. Lay it out before before my cross, before my throne of grace, and find help, help in your time of need. Lord, we rejoice at that. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.